0: And again, let me add my welcome to uh, those you've had already. Let's pray once again as we come to this passage. Our Father God, we pray this morning that you would make us worthy of your calling, that you, through our time together, may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by your mighty power, so that. The name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in us and us in him. According to your grace, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you keep up with this diet and lack of exercise, you'll, you'll be dead in five years. If you keep going at this intensity, you're going to have a breakdown. If you keep treating them like that, you're going to lose them. I hope you never hear things like that, but the the point is simple, that in, in almost every area of life, we are to live now in the light of what is to come. Just sometimes, we need rather stark warnings about what is to come, in order that we would live rightly now. In our passage that Mark's just read for us, we get a picture, a very clear and stark picture of what is coming which has a really big message for how we should live right now, how we should live right now, and also how God's people should pray right now. We're in 2 Thessalonians. It's the second letter that Paul wrote, wrote to the church there. Uh, Mark um, uh, preached last week on prayer in 1 Thessalonians. Um, he'd heard, Paul had heard that the church had started really well, and so he'd written that letter to them, And then most scholars think that actually 2 Thessalonians was probably written a fairly short while after, perhaps just months after that first letter. He'd heard more reports from them, more good reports, and so he writes this other, this second letter. And the major theme of 2 Thessalonians is the return of Jesus. Jesus' second coming. Jesus came for the first time as a baby. And he grew up. And he lived that perfect life, that life as a servant. And he died, ultimately, a sinner's death. Dying in the place of his people. That was Jesus' first coming, because after death he rose again, ascended into heaven. And now this letter is about Jesus' second coming. When he's going to come in majesty and power and glory. And the truth of Jesus' second coming was to encourage this church who were doing well, but were facing increasing pressure. They were persecuted and afflicted because of their faith. We're going to focus on verses 11 to 12, what Paul prays, asks for them. But do you see how verse 11 begins, to this end? To to what end, Paul? Well, the NIV kind of says, with this in mind. With what in mind? Well, we, what Paul has just said in verses 1 to 10. What Paul prays for them is in the light of what he's spoken about just before. Well, but to, to what end? Well, in light of the end. That's the first point on the sheets there. In light of the end. See, in verses, uh, what, particularly 3 uh, through to 10, Paul is speaking of the return of the Lord Jesus. But before that, in verse 3, Paul again tells them that he's giving thanks for them and it is right that he does so because their faith is growing, their love is increasing. Incidentally, one of the things that Paul prayed for in 1 Thessalonians, well, their love is increasing. And in verse 4, he's celebrating their steadfastness in, in the midst of this persecution. Uh, and thinking about their persecution and their persecutors spurs Paul to... Explain what is to come. If you see you in the middle of uh, verse 7, we look forward to when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels uh, in flaming fire. And when that happens, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, two things are going to happen. For those who have faith, in the Lord Jesus, for those who are persevering through those trials and troubles, or verse 7, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us. So for those who are trusting Christ and who endure through those afflictions, what do they look forward to? Well, they look forward to relief, an end of those afflictions, an end of that pain, comfort from God himself living in the new creation, a place of no more pain, suffering, crying, tears, in the presence of our Savior Jesus. That's for those who are trusting in him. But for those who don't have faith, verse 8, he's coming in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer... The punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. This is the ultimate reality. There is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came and died so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus paid for sins so that we wouldn't have to. But the call of the gospel is to repent and believe, to turn away from living for self in rejection of him and to rather turn to Jesus, coming to him, asking him for forgiveness and committing a life to follow him. That's the call of the gospel. And for those who don't do that, they disobey the gospel. And those who don't do that face, as he says here, eternal destruction, separated from God's, and all his goodness. If you are here this morning, and perhaps you might have been coming for a long time, but you haven't yet done that, you haven't yet repented, turned away from that, and turned to Jesus to trust him. Can I implore you, don't put it off. Don't put it off. Don't think this is something I can do later in life, once I've had my fun, once I've... Live life to the fullest, or yeah, then of course I'll do it in the future. Don't keep holding back. Don't be thinking, oh yeah, I would do that if or but there's there's something in the in the way, some kind of barrier. This is where everything is headed. Jesus' return and this division. Obey the good news. Don't look don't just trust Jesus because living as a Christian is the best way to live, although I fully believe it is. Don't just trust Jesus because uh, you think he'll bring you happiness, although I think he does indeed bring deep and real joy. But trust in Jesus, because if you don't, well, this is the future. But if you do, we look forward to a wonderful future with him. This is the end. This is where things are heading. Jesus' return, or as verse 10 puts it, when he comes on that day, to be glorified in his saints, that's just Christians, and to be marveled at among all who have believed. That's where everything is heading. And with this in mind, Jesus return. with this in mind, Paul prays that we would be ready for that. And Paul prays, because the things which mean that we're ready for that day are only possible if God works. And so, in the light of the end, pray big prayers. I think perhaps the the standout feature of the prayers that we've looked at of Paul's, uh, the, the only thing that stood out to me most clearly is Paul's focus on praying big spiritual prayers, big spiritual needs for his people. And do you see how an increased awareness of this ultimate end should be shaping our prayer lives now. Look, I, I've said it before, we, we, should be, we should be praying daily for our concerns and anxieties. But in the light of the fact that Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead, to only be praying that my bad back would, would stop giving me grief, that's surely deficient. In the light of the fact that those who don't obey and believe the gospel will spend eternity separated from God and his goodness, so you only be praying that your children will get into the best school around, or that your best friend will get the job they want, surely that is mad. In the light of the fact that those who are trusting in Jesus will see, see him return in glory and praise him, so you only be praying for us as a church that we would find a, a building to meet in long term, Well, that is sadly lacking. What does Paul pray in the light of uh, Jesus' return? What are the the big prayers that he prays? Well, firstly, and you see on your handout there, that we would be worthy of our calling. See verse 11. To this end, in light of Jesus' return, to this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. We saw something similar a few weeks ago in Colossians 1, didn't we? Where Paul was praying that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Well, here it is that God would make them worthy of his calling. Notice it's not just kind of live worthy, but it's be worthy or be counted as worthy. It's it's almost stronger here. And when Paul speaks of calling, he's almost always, possibly always, referring to the moment... (sighs) when somebody becomes a Christian, when someone hears the, the good news of Jesus and they hear that call to repent and believe, and when God brings about this change a new life and brings them to himself. We might call it the effectual call. So to be called is to be saved, to become a Christian. And we've got to get the order right here. Did, did you notice he says that, that, you'd, um, you'd live a, uh, that you'd, he would make you worthy of his calling? It's not make you worthy to be called. That is impossible. It's by ourselves. We, we cannot be worthy to be called. We can't be good enough. But having been called, having been saved, Paul now prays that we would be worthy of that calling. We could summarize the, the whole stage of a Christian's life from conversion until Jesus' return as becoming what we are. We are, have been made holy at conversion. At, at conversion, we've been made holy, we've been set apart. And the Christian journey is becoming more and more holy. We have become children of God, and so we should increasingly be living as such. We're not worthy of our calling, but gradually we are to become more and more so as God works in us. And so at the moment, I want to ask us all and challenge us all, as I've been challenged this week, is there an area of your life at the moment that you know is unworthy of of being God's people, one of God's people? Commit to work on it. Commit to praying for it. Because I certainly know myself, and I'm I'm sure you'll echo with me, I I am not disciplined enough. I am not strong enough. My resolve is not... It's fierce enough, strong enough. I can't do it myself. That area that I know is not worthy of Him, I can't see real lasting change by myself. Paul knows it too, and so he prays it, prays for it. So join me in praying that God would make you worthy of His calling, more and more so. The second big thing He prays is that He would fulfill every good desire and deed. Let me read verse 11 again. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. At a Christian's calling, at a Christian's conversion, they undergo this huge transformation. New creations, born again, given a new heart. The Bible talks in these very dramatic terms. And part of that means that a Christian gets these new desires, new ambitions, new goals. No longer do I simply want to live for myself, for the here and now. So my life's goals and aims now is not to go to as many iconic sporting events as I possibly can. We've got you kind of you're listed Super Bowl, FA Cup final, Champions League final, all those things that would be my goals in life are not anymore. Actually rather I committing to playing my part in Jesus building his church. No longer my goals are you know to be at peak fitness. Yeah, never really was, was it? But but yeah, (laughs) The inner me, what is more important to me now is the inner me rather than the the outer me. But The thing is, these desires don't always play out in my life. And I imagine you recognize that same thing. And so that is why Paul prays in verse 11 that God may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. God would resolve for good our desires, those good intentions, those things that we want to do. Paul prays that God would fulfill them, he would bring them about. Work of faith, these good deeds, these things that we um, are are doing, these good things that we are doing that are prompted prompted by our faith in the Lord Jesus, Paul prays that, that God would fulfill them. Paul's praying that God would fulfill our good desires and deeds, he would bring them to completion. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but who has thought or said something like, I wonder how I can witness to my neighbours? Or how could I encourage someone in the gospel, that that person in the gospel who's really struggling at the moment? What could I do? Right, I'm going to set aside some time every day to pray. I'd love to get more involved in serving at church. I'm not going to do that again. How can I get more out of my Bible readings? I could go on and on and on. We all, all of God's people, have those kind of thoughts, those resolves. Yet how many of those times are those good desires and perhaps initial steps that we take just fizzle out to Nothing. Well, it could well be because we're relying on ourselves to carry it through. All praise. Praise that God would fulfill those resolves and those works. A few minutes ago, I I challenged you. I said, is there an area of your life that you're feeling isn't worthy of of your calling? Commit to work on it. Or commit to praying for it. Because those resolves that you might have made five minutes ago are going to come to nothing. If God isn't at work. Because it's easy to sit in church, make resolves. It's much harder on Monday morning. Pray. There is another danger, and perhaps I want to suggest this is perhaps perhaps even a greater danger for us as a church together. As a church together, I'm thrilled by the number of people who are sacrificially and energetically serving in church. It is a wonderful thing and a privilege to be part of. But that does become, I think, a, a danger for us. Because, look, some of us think and plan, but never really get around to doing too much. Others organize, plan meticulously, get going, yet never stop to pray and to commit endeavors to God without whom nothing good will come. It is possible to be really, really active, individually and as a church, but without the goal of of Jesus being honoured, actually being met. I've been debating with myself this week. In the end, I'm backing out slightly. I was going to ask for a show of hands. I'm not going to actually ask for a show of hands, but I want you to imagine a, a, a show of hands. Yesterday, we had our men's day away. Fantastic day. If you missed it, we're going to put talks on the website. I'd highly recommend it. Man, you've got to be there next year. One of the, one of the big events of our, our church year, okay, and what I was going to say is, please could you put your hand up if you prayed for the men's event at all? And then I was going to say, put your hand up if you prayed for it more than just on the day. I was going to say, put your hand up if you prayed, prayed for it outside of the church prayer meeting. I was, going to, I was going to do a few things, I'm, I'm not going for it. But my, my point is, and, I, and I'm saying this because I know my own heart and my own prayers, I fear that there wasn't too much praying going on for it. When if those good deeds, if anything is going to come from those resolves and those, those deeds prompted by faith, God would need to be working. And I think he was. God is gracious. He isn't manipulated by prayers or anything like that and I'm sure he was mightily at work. But just as an example, I think we can be very busy, very active, doing lots of good things. How much are we praying that the Lord would fulfill those resolves and those good deeds? That is one reason why our central prayer meeting is so important. Every other week, Tuesdays, uh, 8pm, not this week, beyond, beyond the next week, coming together to commit to pray for our church, so on Zoom, you don't have to, go, don't have to leave your house. Okay, once it's over, you're, you're home. Nice and easy. We split it off into small groups, so if you're kind of worried about praying in a large group, that's fine, we, we, we don't do that. And if you'd rather not pray even in the small groups, but just want to echo those prayers in your hearts, that's absolutely fine. Can I encourage you to give it a go if you haven't? To prioritise it as you would vineyard Sunday mornings. In the light of the end, pray big prayers. Finally, for big ends. We pray these big prayers for big ends. Like so many of Paul's prayers that we've seen, they're, they're kind of layered. And again, verse 12 starts with the so that. So the, there is a goal that we, for uh, living lives that are worthy. Sorry, for being worthy of the calling. There's a goal for having our good deeds and desires fulfilled. And the goal, verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul prays that we be worthy of our calling, that God would fulfill our desires and deeds so that the name of the Lord Jesus be glorified in you, the Thessalonians, in you, down, and you, Thessalonians, and you, lions down in him. You see, Paul isn't praying these things so that the Thessalonians' godliness and good works would become widely known, although Paul does indeed pray for them and praise them publicly. He's not praying that people would recognize what great Christians they are and that they would gain a reputation. No, he's praying these things so that the name of Jesus would be glorified in the church. So that as the church lives lives that are worthy of God's people, when their desires and deeds come to fulfillment, people see not how impressive that church is, but how great the Lord Jesus is. Jesus' reputation would grow. People would see how great he is as a result of his grace to them and their works of faith. See also, so that's the first goal: is that Jesus would be, uh, Jesus' name would be glorified. But see also that it's not only that um, it's not only that Jesus' name would be glorified in them, but they in Him. You see, this transformation that I was talking about that is at the start of a Christian's journey, a Christian's life. That calling, all those transformations that started, that were so stark, are not complete. And they're not complete until God's people are glorified too on Jesus' return. What a remarkable thing that a church like Lionsdown would be glorified in Jesus. Tom Carson points out that our glorification doesn't in any way take away from Jesus' glory. In fact, it adds to it. Because our glorification is utterly dependent on him and his work. So as we are glorified, he is further glorified. This glorification ultimately happens when Jesus returns. This glorification of Jesus, this glorification of God's people, this ultimately happens when Jesus returns. But there is also an element to which this is happening now. That actually even now, Lions Down Church, here we are, that Paul is praying that we now would be bringing glory to Jesus. And indeed, the, the glory that we're looking forward to, Paul t- writes elsewhere about us, us being um, transformed from one degree of glory to another. We are, as it were, this process is going on until it is fully and finally and dramatically completed when Jesus returns. Also, I want to just quickly spot the the, the final few words, because again, they are crucial. Because Paul doesn't want to leave the Thessalonians with the impression that he's really just hoping they're going to try harder. Now, I think he does want them to commit and to work. But if we are to do these things, it is only because, as Paul says at the end of verse 12, that God would do these things according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how common that is. I probably should have looked it up. But do you see this kind of doubling up of grace? It's the grace of our God, the Father, and of the Lord Jesus. And it is only possible by his grace that these things could ever happen, which is why we pray, pray, pray. In the light of... Of the end, in the light of Jesus' coming, what matters in our lives? What should we be praying for? Well, firstly, and most importantly, have you obeyed the gospel? That is, have you repented and believed? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Are you trusting in Him? That is the most important thing in the light of the end. Are you ready for His return? But in light of the end, what, what else matters? Well, are we being worthy of our calling? Again, Carson in the, um, in the book are called Spiritual Reformation that is so helpful. Um, he, he suggests that in essence, God will ask something like, when, well, what have you done with that salvation that I graciously gave you? That's a helpful thing to think of. In the light of Jesus' Jesus's return, well, when we stand before him, what have we done with this calling? Are we worthy of it? What matters in the light of Jesus' return, what should we be praying for? We're praying that these good deeds, these good desires and these good deeds, will be fulfilled. And what matters most is that all glory would be brought to Jesus. So pray, pray, pray. Join me in praying for these things for us. For ourselves, our people you pray for regularly in our church family this week. Let me pray again that now. Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful, wonderful grace. Your undeserved kindness to us in and through the Lord Jesus and all that he did. I thank you for the calling of your people, And we pray that that calling would go out more and more uh, to to us and and, um, in our local area. Father, please be at work powerfully in us. According to your good power, please uh, work in us that you would make us worthy of this great calling. That we wouldn't be people who have lots of nice ideas and resolves but never do anything. Equally, we wouldn't be people who uh, work and do lots and are very active and yet aren't trusting in you to do the work. Father, please would be prayerful in these things. Again, all for the glory of the Lord Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.